What is it you want? Real estate. It's the Red Hot Real Estate Show, where we can all find out how's it going for buyers and sellers in the real estate market. I have died and gone to real estate heaven. Looking to move? Hoping to sell? Call in with your questions to real estate expert Mimi Shoneman with Remax Results. I'm going to go out and buy a house. Here she is, your host, Mimi Shoneman. Welcome to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on MyTalk 1071, also streaming on MyTalk1071.com. I am Michelle, and here with the lovely and talented, our favorite realtor for Remax Results. Favorite Red Hot real estate. Yes, that's me. Hello. <laughs> Miss Mimi Shoneman. Hello, Mimi. How are you? I am good. Glad to talk to you. Also on the phone, our favorite puzzle solver from <laughs> from Cross Country Mortgage, Mr. Phil Olson. Hey, Phil, how's it going over there? Happy New Year. Good. Good morning. Happy New Year, my talkers. Good morning. So excited to have you both here. And Mimi, thank you very much for bringing our new friend who's going to help do. us cover today's topic. Oh, my goodness. So uh, get your phone dial ready mm-hmm. on the hot key. We've mm-hmm. got a hot one in the studio. Miss <laughs> Melissa Field, attorney at law, mm-hmm. family law specialist extraordinaire with Rognes and Field attorneys. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. That was a wonderful welcome. I'm happy to be here. Right. (laughs) And we are happy to have you because we know that this is a, you know, we're already in a complex world as far as things are going when you're trying to navigate the, the, you know, your mortgage and your home ownership issues. And so we know that just adding on that layer of what am I going on, what goes on during a divorce, I know from experience how much more complicated that makes things. So we want to make sure that we give some, we demystify some things, we provide some great resources. And, and hopefully help um, just smooth some transitions for some folks. Does that make sense, Melissa? That makes so much sense. It's a really difficult process getting a divorce. And when you're selling your house as part of it, there's all types of issues that come along. And there's lots of different ways to solve those issues. So I'm happy to help. I'm happy to answer any questions. Absolutely. Well, and so, Phil, I know that you want to tell us and you and Mimi are going to talk about what's going on out there in the market. But, Phil, can we also get your NMLS number out of the way? You betcha. NMLS two three eight one zero three. Company NMLS eight zero three zero nine five. Cross Country Mortgage. Okay, Phil. Let's get your market update on what's happening in the world of mortgage. Well, we've seen seen a lot of activity here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, mortgage interest rates are now in the high twos to the low fours, really depending on the type of mortgage or purchase. The good news is, is we're still below the average over the last five years on mortgage interest rates. So they're still very, very low and competitive. Uh, this next update, this only applies to purchasing a second home. I'll say this is super hot. Mm -hmm. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac has come out with new guidance on second homes. Automatically, they are, have decided, uh, to implement a new initiative getting out of the second home market interest oh. rates will rise come april 1st one and a quarter to three percent so for those that bought a home at say three and a half percent that interest rate could be now six and a half percent and the main the main reason they're doing this is they're trying to apply their funds towards low and middle income buyers mm-hmm. now Here's the great news. Cross-country mortgage, we're coming out with our own proprietary second mortgage product, which is going to have very, very low competitive second mortgage rates. So anybody buying a second home out there that's talking to a bank credit union that doesn't have a proprietary product, 
uh, be ready to hear the words four and a half to seven percent on a second home. Uh, next, as we're fully aware, I'm sorry, of Phil. Can I ask you, Phil? Can I ask you one question about that second home uh, designation? So, how, what percentage of time do I stay in my second home where it counts my second home? How much do I have to live there? You've got to be there at least fifty-one percent of it the to time, not be or use or not rented out more than fifty-one percent to be able to designate it as a second home. And okay. there's specific criteria for a second home as far as distance and type and everything like that. But that's a that's a great question, and I I tell people to give me a call here this week. Would be glad to and give you all the information you need. Okay. Next one. CPI index moves to 7%. It's something I've been predicting. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to go higher. We now are at inflationary levels all the way back to 1982, the highest inflation we've seen in over 40 years. And now the Federal Reserve, this is important for those folks thinking about getting a home equity loan. They're now talking about potentially raising the prime rate five to six times now. They were talking three. Now it could be five to six times over the next year, which could cause interest rates to go on a home equity loan. If you're at four and a half as a start rate, that rate could go to 6%, and next year it could go to 7%. So for anybody thinking about taking cash out with a home equity loan, that would be a great conversation for you to have with me as to, is it better off that you just refinance your first mortgage versus having an adjustable rate mortgage that could go to a crazy, crazy rate? Okay. So, yeah, a lot, of hap- lot happening in the market. But like I said, rates are still low, still a great time to buy, st- still a great time to refinance. So I would just like to add that if you think, if you are thinking this is all doom and gloom, mm-hmm. Please don't look at it like that. What we hope that you will hear is now is the time to act. There's just no way that you're going to outsave or outrun this train. Um, you can't save up fast enough to beat what's going to happen in the next year. Phil, can you explain that a little bit more about we both hear people say, I, you know, this market's nuts. I'm just going to wait. That would be a very, very bad idea if you do intend to purchase a home. I would totally agree with you. It is, Mimi. Um, there's a lot of analysts, especially coming, uh, your, your economic advisors to Chase, to Citibank. They are now coming out stating that we're in an ever increasing inflationary period for almost the next year to two years for sure. Um, and if let's use a $300,000 mortgage, if interest rates rise by one full percentage point, your mortgage payment is going up alone $200 a month. That's for one full percentage point. So now is the time to buy buy that house, buy that investment property, buy that second home. Um, and for those first-time home buyers that are sitting out there paying $1,800 a rent, uh, a month in rent, or somewhere as close to that, they should be strongly considering buying now because in the next year to two years, I don't think the picture is getting rosier, sorry to say. Yeah. So, you know, with rising rents, and, you know, we do have a lot of of commentary about that, which we won't go into today. You don't want to sit there. It doesn't have to be the 
the perfect first home. We've talked about this before. Get it, get in the game, mm-hmm. and then move up. Mm-hmm. Fix it, move up. At least you've started. So, Phil, any final parting words before we start talking with Miss Melissa Field about all the fears that go along with divorce? The, the one other key that I would want to tell people, or I'm going to give you a statistic. Statistics says that in your total lifespan, a homeowner will own five to seven homes. So there you go, Mimi. Buy that first home. It might not be perfect, but it gets you in the game. It helps you build equity. It helps you save money over time. And then we roll that equity over into that next property. And that could be in as short a period as three to five years. Perfect. Well, Melissa, listening to all of this market update, what are your thoughts from an, a, a family law attorney's perspective? You you see all sorts of properties that come across your desk with different folks that are, are going through this. Well, hearing Phil talk brings up one concern that people often ask me in a divorce. When parties are deciding to physically separate, they will say, before we actually get a divorce, is now a good time to buy a second residence? My spouse wants to move out. We want to create a parenting time schedule for our kids. We want that physical separation, but rents are crazy high Mm -hmm. and we don't want to pay $2,500 per month for a studio apartment. So is it a good idea if we just take some of our savings and we buy the other spouse a house? So we each have a house. So we know where we're going to live post-divorce, but we're not divorced yet. And I will say to them, that's fine. But if you're going to do that, it is typically best to have the spouse moving out, use their own income to qualify for a loan. Okay. You will both be entitled to the property, so you will own the property. It will be a marital asset on the balance sheet, regardless of whose name is on the mortgage debt or on the title to the property. But you will have two residences. It's a marital asset. And when the divorce happens, you will not have to worry about refinancing that debt. Um, divorce decrees do not bind third-party creditors. So the goal of a good divorce is that you have no joint debts outstanding at the time that the process is done, or right. you have a plan to get your name off every joint debt. So if that piece of real estate is in the other spouse's sole name, the debt, they don't have to worry about refinancing it, and you don't have to worry about your ex-spouse not paying the mortgage and the creditors coming after you. Well, we've talked about that before, Mimi and Melissa, about how it takes... It's 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 two people to buy it, you know, kind of thing. Once you buy it together, you're both on that. One to buy, one to buy, two, two to, to sell. sell. So okay, so let's so help me since I'm already muddling this. How Melissa does this? How do I make sure that even though we're still married, because we've seemed to have this conversation before, where you think it's easier than it is just to take your name off of things, and it's not that easy. So there's two things to think about. There's one, getting your name off of the title to the property. Mm-hmm. And then the other issue is getting your name off the debt to okay. the property. It's actually very easy post-divorce to get your name off of the title. Okay. Um, actually, by statute in Minnesota, when a divorce happens, even without recording any type of piece of paper, mm-hmm. um, it automatically passes from joint tenancy to tenant in common. Okay. And then we can record that with a summary real estate disposition judgment. That's easy. Mm-hmm. The much more difficult part is getting somebody's name off the loan, the mortgage note, the debt. 
And that's the more important piece usually. Okay. And so, so just moving out does not mean that. Just even doing a, what did we call it before, Mimi? A, a contract quick, for deed? A quick, quick claim. claim deed. Okay. That doesn't do anything. It does not get rid of the marital interest in the property. You actually cannot get rid of your marital interest in the property until a divorce happens. Okay. And people will say, well, if I move out, am I abandoning the property? Do I lose any rights? No. Okay. You do not. I've had people who have been separated for six years. And they say, well, now we're ready to get a divorce. I said, well, it's, it's been a while, mm-hmm. but you haven't lost any rights to that piece of real estate. Right. And so I think the biggest thing that people do get confused about is they think, well, I'm just going to make it easy and go to the courthouse and quit claim it off. Right. And that does not do it. Mm-hmm. In fact, that does a lot more damage. And when we come back from the break, Melissa will continue talking about some of the greatest fears in divorce. And speaking of great, it's a great day to get any of your fears out into the open. Get your Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on My Talk 1071. Reminding you to be part of the show if you have any questions. Talk to our experts by calling us at 651-641-1071. Or if you want to get in touch with them later, you can always just text the word divorce to the number 651-578-2218. That's 651-578-2218. 651-578-2218. Okay, so we're here in studio with Melissa Field, family law attorney with Rognes and Field. Um, so please take advantage of this special opportunity to pick her brain about any questions that you might have. Now, Melissa, I have been told that January is the number one month that divorces start. Can you talk a little bit about that? Divorce tends to be very cyclical. Mm -hmm. So we will get really a lot of calls in January. A lot of people will make it a New Year's resolution to finally have that divorce happen. So we'll get a lot of calls in January. People will start retaining in late January, early February. A lot of cases get filed in the spring. And then kind of the end of the school year, we slow down a little bit while, you know, parents get their school year wrapped up. Then summer comes. We call that patio season. Mm -hmm. People want to be divorced. They want to be outside. (laughs) They want to have a drink with their date. I get it. So then we speed up in the summer because people want their divorces expedited. Then comes the fall and the holidays. Things slow down. People want to put everything on hold through Christmas and Thanksgiving while they're with their families. They want to focus. And then we're back to the new year. So it's really a wave. Right. And so it's nice, though, if you're going to start your case in January um, or February, because if you are going to sell a piece of property, we can get that negotiated early so that we can take advantage of the spring market to list a home for sale. And I always kind of this is one of those things just similar to would you sell your house your, yourself? I know, you know, just from my experience, there's a reason why it's worth it for you to at least go. I'm going to get some of these initial questions uh, and I'm going to run through an attorney on these things. Even if it's amicable, there's just a lot of nuances that you can miss, especially when you have children and property and other things. Right, Melissa? And we say that to people in any profession. You don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And silence in a final divorce decree can be very important. Right. And in Minnesota, property settlements are final, except for very limited circumstances. So if the two of you, the two spouses, do their divorce together on their own and they enter it to the court and then they decide something is wrong or they don't like a term, I can't fix it for you on the back end. Mm -hmm. And when we do get retained to clean up divorce decrees, it ends up being way more expensive and time-consuming and costly than to just make the investment and do it the first time around right? um, and get it right the first time. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, So I'm just going to pick your brain right now. So off the top of your head, 
what is a couple of, of things that people have done way wrong that cost them a lot of money by trying to do it themselves? Well, so in terms of one thing that pops up all the time in terms of real estate is that they will say that one spouse will just keep the house and they will not put in any language about a refinance. So they'll say, okay, wife is going to keep the house. In exchange for that, I get to keep all of my retirement. That's fine, except when the mortgage doesn't get paid and the mortgage company starts coming after the other spouse who's on the mortgage, even though they have no ownership interest in the house. And then they give us a call and they say, hey, I want my uh, ex-spouse to refinance the loan because my credit has gone down 100 points and I'm getting calls from the mortgage company and I'm having to pay it. Help me. And I say, I can't. If Mm -hmm. it's not in the divorce decree that they have to refinance within a certain period of time and if they don't refinance, it's sold too bad. You know, that's it's so hard to say that to people because you just don't think about it when you're getting a divorce. So in that instance, what did what happened? Nothing. The house, the court cannot go back in time and they cannot change the divorce decree because property settlements are final. So the spouse who was on the mortgage with their ex-spouse had no remedy and no recourse, which is why it's so important if you own real estate to make sure that you negotiate how long to refinance and if the property is going to be sold, when it's going to be sold and what happens pending the refinance if your soon-to-be ex-spouse does not pay the mortgage. Okay. And so that was something that they thought they had figured out, but they, they missed it. And so that was going to cause one of them significant harm. Yeah. And it's hard. Nobody has a crystal ball about what's going to happen in the future. And I think a lot of the people who do their divorces together, they do get along. And that is wonderful. And we encourage that. No divorce attorney that I know is in the business of making families more polarized. But many times the process is so emotionally draining and cumbersome. And there's so much happening. I mean, your kids your property, your job, your income. But thinking about some of these things, you just, they don't, they're not on your radar. You don't think what happens in five years if my now employed spouse loses their job. You don't think that. Right. Well, Phil would like to uh, interject something about this point. Oh, you're making a a phenomenal point here, Melissa. And, and, And this is where I start fielding some of these calls when you're talking about the spouse calling, stating that they haven't paid the mortgage. Unfortunately, what I see happen on my side of things is I see these properties go into foreclosure. I see them go into short sale. I see them sometimes get damaged because of anger. And it really comes down to creating that clean separation like you talked about, making sure that all parties are taken care of and everything is addressed in the divorce decree. And when they are, I normally see things go smoothly. It's when they're not that I see things go bad. Okay, Melissa, you and I talked when we uh, met to to prepare for the show that, you know, sometimes you may not even know that your your mortgage payment is not being made until you get a notice of default, which happens around day 60. So you you and I talked about the, the process after that happens to go back to the court on day 61. So... In order to do that, you do have to have the language in your judgment decree. So we call that sunset language, saying, okay, well, my spouse is required to refinance the property. We're going to give them a period of time. 
Um, that period of time is negotiable. Sometimes it's six months. Sometimes it's three years, however long you agree. But then we always add additional language. That's called sunset language. That in the event that your ex-spouse is 30 days in default on the mortgage, at day 61, the house is going to be listed for sale and sold no matter what. That spouse who was awarded the property gets to keep it, but that's the only way to get your name off of the underlying mortgage debt okay. is for that property to be sold. So let's just say that they are in contempt of court and they're like, forget about it. I'm not moving. You're, you're going to have to take bigger, more drastic measures to get me out of here. What happens and what have you seen with that? Um, so the remedy is to file a motion with the court saying my spouse did not comply with the judgment decree and to pursue it through the courts. And I'll tell you what, we can talk about this when we come back. That can be a real nightmare. Oh, I can imagine. So if you have any questions so you don't end up in a nightmare situation, today is a great day to call. Call us at 651-641-1071. We'll be right back on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on My Talk 1071. Also streaming on MyTalk1071.com. Always encouraging you to call and be part of the show at 651-641-1071, especially today since we have three amazing experts in the room so you can talk to melissa field our attorney that's here with us our family law attorney of course mimi shoneman from the red hot real estate group and phil olson from caliber i'm sorry from cross country mortgage is also on the phone also want to remind you if this is something that you're like okay i'm not really ready to put all my business out there on the phone you can just go ahead and text divorce to 651 578-2218. Again, that's text DIVORCE to 651-578-2218. Okay. Well, you know, we were talking during the break about deferred maintenance and the condition, like when I have been called to go and do a, a market analysis for folks that are going through a divorce, oftentimes you will see homes that are, have had a lot of things that have gone by the, the wayside, if mm-hmm. you will. And people are very embarrassed about that. And I just want everybody to know, you don't have to be. You don't have to be embarrassed. We see everything. But it is, it is something to note that if you want to put your house on the market, if, if you've gone to Melissa and you've decided what you're going to do with this asset, you're going to put it on the market, we do have to talk about getting the top value for the house and what sorts of things might have to be done in order to be able to achieve that. Melissa? So that's always really important. If the agreement is to sell the house, is that the parties have to pick a neutral realtor and then they have to get the house ready for sale. So typically what we negotiate, and I will say that 75% of cases in Minnesota settle through a settlement program, Mm -hmm. Um, like a settlement program like mediation or through early neutral evaluation or even another program called a moderated settlement conference. So settlement rates are really high. So for the most part, these are private negotiations that are happening in a divorce. So in these private negotiations, the, the attorneys will just get together and say, okay, well, we see this all the time. The two of you will hire a neutral realtor and you will have that realtor do a walkthrough of the property. That realtor will create a punch list of the things that need to be done. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, redo your bathroom. That's right. not the time. We are talking about paint, mm-hmm. carpet cleaning, patching some holes, really just the basic things that need to be done to list it for sale. 
And whatever is on that list, the two of you will share the cost of that equally. And those are the things that are going to be done. Right. If if both of you don't have access to money to pay for that, the marriage pays for it. Or one side can front the cost if we've already separated the the money. And then the other side, you know, that spouse can be reimbursed for their, the other spouse's share from the net sale proceeds. Right. And if you want to do something else, you're doing that at your own expense. Right. Exactly. And I just have a question for Phil. Over there at Cross Country Mortgage, you've mentioned before that sometimes one party says, I'm going to stay in the house. Uh, but they still need to talk to you to see if they qualify to refinance the house. Right, Phil, before they start going, hey, this is automatically going to work. Yeah, well, I mean, you're bringing up a great point. And one of the mistakes that I see uh, in divorce cases is the party... That who's picked to keep the house is really not the right party to keep the house because they don't have the ability to qualify to do anything with that home okay. or refinance that home. Right. Melissa, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is very common where somebody will want to stay in the house. Say they have minor children and they want their kids to finish high school. They want to give the kids the stability to be in the home. First thing I usually say to parties is, Make sure your long-term plan, if you're going to keep the house, is that you envision yourself being there for about the next five to ten years. Mm -hmm. Because in a divorce, we come up with a fair market value of the property. That can be having somebody like Mimi do an analysis, a comparative market analysis, or an appraisal. Okay. But then you have to buy out the other side's equity in the home. Mm -hmm. And you don't get a discount for unactualized sale costs. So you buy the other spouse out at the fair market value. So if you turn around the next year and you sell it for the same price, you are paying all of those sale expenses yourself. Okay. So you have overpaid the other spouse. So if you are going to stay there and you know that's part of your long-term plan and you have to refinance the mortgage, I say call before we agree to that or we make that proposal, you need to reach out to a mortgage broker mm -hmm. right now. Okay. So call Phil. Mm -hmm. Have him look at your income. Have him look at what your maintenance or child support may be going forward. Or if you're on the other side, how much you're going to be paying in spousal maintenance and child support and figure out if you can actually refinance that loan, what the term will be. And if you need cash out to pay off maybe attorney's fees or credit card debt, because it's pretty easy to rack up expenses as part of a divorce proceeding if you need to pay anything out what that looks like. And once we are confident that you can actually qualify for refinance, we start having that discussion. Okay. Phil, would you like to contribute some some things that you've seen? Uh, I, would, I would tell you, Melissa, you nailed it. It really comes down to, you know, planning this, this, uh, this separation or this divorce. And where I see people make the mistakes, especially when they try to do this on their own, uh, they miss a lot of pieces. Okay. And that's where, that's where they end up getting themselves in trouble down the road. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, what what you need, how many months, years for to qualify, both for maintenance and also for child support to qualify for a home. So my understanding well, is that to use your support to qualify for a loan, you have to receive your spousal maintenance for three years from the date of the closing going forward. And in Minnesota, how long your spousal maintenance lasts depends on the the fact pattern of your case. There's no formula for spousal maintenance. It's a very gray area of our law. But if you know that you need that loan and you need your support to qualify for it, it might be better to have a longer duration and maybe smaller amounts 
so that you are can ensure that you will qualify. Now, Phil, you and I have talked about this before uh, in talking to folks about the meeting with you early uh, and to find out whether or not they would qualify. And and sometimes it would be better for them to do that while they are still married. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that Melissa is talking about is you are correct. It is three years, you know, uh, meaning three years. From the date of the divorce, uh, or three years, as, let's use your children for example. If you have a child that's 17 and you're getting child support, well, the child, once they reach 18, emancipation, that child support automatically stops. So because they only have one year remaining on the child support, they cannot use that income to qualify. Now, in a I'm situation sorry, Phil. like that. Phil, can I pause you just one second? Because I'm in the room with Melissa and she made one of those faces like not always like an asterisk needed to be put over that. So just one second. So, Melissa, is that not always the case or, or, or what is that? Yeah. What was that asterisk? I'll put like a little face? asterisk on the child support piece. Child support goes until a child's emancipation. So Phil was totally correct on that. But if you have... Um, an 18-year-old who's in high school, it goes until their graduation okay. up to age 20. So you can actually have your child support go to age 20 if your child is still in high school. And there are some limited circumstances where child support can go beyond um, a child being 20. Like, for example, we just had a case where the child support was extended by the court until that child was 21. Mm-hmm. That child was autistic. Had- That's what I was going to ask you. So yes. My son happens to be on the spectrum. And so I've seen that play out where it's, well, my son is not going to get to a full emancipa- emancipation situation. So he is going to, because of his developmental delay, be my, uh, uh, we're eventually going to have to change that. So I was going to ask you if that was the kind of situation where that normally happens, yeah. Melissa. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there can be a crossover from where you shift from child support to a guardianship. Mm-hmm. But we had a case where we had a pretty high functioning autistic child who had one more year of a program to participate in, mm-hmm. which was um, not actually high school. Right. It was not college. So mm-hmm. that child was living at home mm-hmm. with mom and mom said, I need one more year of support. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go to court and the court expen- uh, extended the child support until age 21. Right. Okay. So there are some circumstances where it can go beyond, but you really do need to talk to an attorney about that because it really depends on the facts of your case. Okay. All, All right. right, Phil. Sorry, Phil. Go back to now. We have our asterisk. No, so, so, so. so if I understand you correctly, would you agree with this, Melissa? Those are kind of one-off situations, but the kind, kind of the standard normal rule is the, the, the income stops once the child is 18 or finishes high school. For most families that's the case assuming that that's your youngest child if you have multiple children it will go until the youngest child emancipates per the statute and that is high school graduation or 18 whichever is later in most cases not all okay okay so melissa you had prepared a couple of uh not horror stories but just not happy stories right that you might want to share with with our listeners Well, you know, I think of one case where the parties had separated while the divorce was pending and mom had and the kids had moved out and dad was still in the marital home. They agreed that it was going to be sold and but dad didn't actually really want to sell the house. He he didn't want to move. You know, that's a lot of work to move in a divorce proceeding. 
I mean, everything's up in the air, and all of a sudden you've got to pack all your stuff and go. That's tedious, time-consuming, and stressful. He didn't really want to go. So the parties hired a neutral realtor together, and they um, had talked about the punch list items that needed to be done. And one thing that needed to be done was the house needed a good scrub. Mm -hmm. It needed to be cleaned. Yeah. And so the realtor had actually which was amazing, hired a cleaning company to come out and do a deep clean. And dad said, no, 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 I've got it. I don't want to pay for that. I'm not going to put that couple hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. And the other side was willing to pay for half. So the realtor says, okay, that's fine. Cancels the cleaning company, assumes that the house gets clean. So starts setting up showings. The showings are getting accepted. Some, some are getting denied, but some are getting accepted. So then a showing happens and the realtor shows up with their clients, and the house, one, is filthy, and the um, husband is asleep on the couch. Right. Because he didn't want to move. Right. Yeah. He didn't want to move. So he's he like, if you don't move. like it, then don't like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the problem was is that he was the one in the house, and he had ready access to the property. And my client did not want to go back. She mm-hmm. did not want to be cleaning up after him. She didn't want to have that headache. She was moved out. She had started over. Mm-hmm. And so the issue was we kept having to go back to his attorney and say, clean the house, mm-hmm. get out. Mm-hmm. And it kept happening. Showings kept getting canceled. So we finally, we had to file a motion with the court and say, we are asking that you have to leave this house right? so it can get sold because we need that money to pay off other debt. That was enough and to so, get him on board. And so as a realtor in that situation, you, the best thing you want to do is to put it temporarily unavailable for showings while all this nonsense is going on. But then you need both parties to sign that. Right. And so, Melissa, so if that was my client and I went to the party that was cooperating, sign this so that we can freeze the showings because you can't have showing requests go on and on being denied. And then you take it to the part, the party that did not want to cooperate. How do you get them to sign that so that it's, it's collaborative? Well, typically they don't want to stop the showings. You mm-hmm. know, one party's motivated to sell and the other party is not. So oftentimes we'll go to a mediation and we'll figure out what a realistic time frame is. Maybe that spouse wants to move out and then we go back and we ready the house for sale and it's vacant and we try mm-hmm. to expedite it. Um, so we just try to negotiate that. But it's really tricky because if you think about divorce... Divorce is ultimately a breakdown in trust. Right. And they don't trust each other to do anything. So these are, if they got along, they might not be getting a divorce. Right. So if they could make decisions together, might not be getting a divorce. Perfect. These Mm -hmm. are big decisions to make when you have a total breakdown. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Where are we with time right now? <laughs> oh, so we need to go to break and we come back. We can cover whatever we have left. Yeah. Where time is cruising. When we come back, mm-hmm. I would really love to talk about marital property versus non-marital property. All right. I also want to remind you, you can call in with your question. The number is 651-641-1071. Or you can text the word divorce to 651-578-2218. That's 651-578-2218. Just text the word divorce. We'll be right back on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on MyTalk 1071, also streaming on MyTalk1071.com. Reminding you that you can call and be part of the show at 651-641-1071. And don't worry, Mimi, I know we got somebody that's on the line right now. Producer Sonny's talking to them. We'll get a hold of them really soon. If you are not ready to call in, you can text the word divorce to 651-578-2218. And so in the meantime, go ahead, Mimi, we can go back to one of those, uh, finish up with Melissa on one of those, those horror stories we had before we went to break. So marital property, specifically where it involves real estate, 
Um, can we talk a little bit about the specifics? Like maybe you have a story in mind of, of, of where you've had somebody that's owned property before they were married and then they sold it and then they moved and bought a marital property, things like that. So that's actually really common. Marital property is Minnesota, in Minnesota is any property that's accumulated during the marriage. So if you save up money from your income and the and you and your spouse jointly buy a piece of real estate, it's entirely marital. Okay. But if you have a big pile of savings before the marriage or you buy a house before the marriage and then you get married, you have what we call a non-marital interest in that piece of real estate. And for purposes of real estate, there's a formula in Minnesota that we use. It's called the Schmitz formula. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty basic. It's just you take the equity on the date of the marriage divided by the fair market value, and that's your percentage. And that percentage follows you forward. For example, say the house is worth $200,000 and your loan is $100,000, so you have equity of $100,000. You have a 50% non-marital interest in that piece of real estate. Okay. So if the two of you sell it, once you're married for 400000 and you haven't touched the loan, you get 50% of the equity as your non-marital off the top. So you now get $200,000 of that piece of real estate. To Mimi, keep this is exactly property. why whenever you and I have these conversations and people go, why is Miss Shannon, if she ever find love again, getting a prenuptial <laughs> agreement? It is that math that Melissa just said. I'm like, no. This is, <laughs> I'm, like, I, I'm like, I'm not missing this loophole. Love is love, but my money and my property is my money and my property. I'm just saying. (laughs) I will say, even if you don't have a prenup, Mm -hmm. even if you don't, the law in Minnesota is great. We carve that out even if you don't have a prenup, or we call it an antenuptial agreement. Okay. Even without that, you get your Mm non-marital. So, But then, if you take that non-marital and you put it into a new piece of real property, you can kind of start changing the percentage. Okay. So if you take... You know, your $200,000 and you put it into a million dollar property, you now only have 20%. Okay. okay. So, the, the, so each piece of real estate that you buy, it has to, that um, formula has to follow you forward. It can get diluted with refinance and things like that, but the court does prioritize your non-marital over your marital. Oh, okay. really? Okay. Well, well, Mimi and Melissa and Phil, we're going to go to the phone right now. Jennifer, thank you for calling the Red Hot Real Estate Show at 651-641-1071. What's your comment for our guest today? Hi, um, I am a MLO third-party processor, house mortgage processing, and um, I have a suggestion for a couple that's going through a divorce um, using the equity that you were just talking about. Why don't they use the husband, use the equity, do a cash-out refinance, he can buy her out, and then also deed her off title. That's that's another option that you can do. So, Phil, going through divorce. Thank you, Jennifer. So, Phil, when people call in and they're trying to figure out how to do this for you, is that something that you would suggest or try and put that puzzle together for them? I've done that many, many, many times. It just comes down to where where is the couple? Is the couple amicable? Mm-hmm. Are they willing to work in good faith with one another? But yes. That is a solution, and I've done that many, many times over my career. Awesome. Thank you, Jennifer. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Love mm-hmm. your show. Thank you for listening. We Thanks appreciate for calling. you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Bye-bye. property that was owned prior to, maybe let's say that they had a townhouse, uh, one of the parties owned before they got married, 
they decided to to buy a new house as a married couple. Let's say they did it while they were still engaged, and then they turned the townhouse into a rental property that they could keep uh, for income while they were married. How do you handle something like that? So the rental property would remain the non-marital property. They would uh, the spouse who owned that property would continue to have that non-marital interest in Minnesota. Income that spins off a non-marital asset is marital. Oh. So the rental income that you earn off of your non-marital property is a marital asset. Really? So okay. So if you pay that back to the mortgage mm-hmm. um, and pay it down, which is what most people do, it creates a marital component. Regardless, there would be a marital component because the marriage, quote unquote, is paying it off once you get married. But if you take all of that rental money and you just put it into an account and then, you know, it just stacks up and the divorce happens and you say, hey, this is all the rental income, it gets split. Wow. That's marital. Okay. I'm Surprise. sorry. I'm so hey, glad Melissa? you're here because I am never getting Melissa? married. <laughs> yes, Phil. I've got a quick question. Sure. We're talking marital, but I know there are specific laws when a couple is together for a very, very long period of time. And I've ran into that over my career. Can you talk a little bit about it is a property that's been purchased by two parties, but they're not married, but they've lived together so long, there's specific laws that apply to that. So Minnesota is not does not recognize common law marriage. So you are not common law married. So neither one of you would retain any common law rights. But if two people who are in a relationship purchase a piece of real estate in joint tenancy, and then the relationship ends, you have to figure out who gets what. Okay. And there is a specific statute that pertains to those parties. It's known as a partition, where if you own real estate with somebody um, in joint tenancy, you can go to the court and ask the court to partition the property. Mm-hmm. That is different than family court because family court is you have a marital interest. Your marital interest is half. Okay. And in those cases, the court will look at what each of you made a contribution to the property. Mm-hmm. And you know, which sometimes is not a great way to do it because okay. in some relationships, people are together for 20 years and say one spot, you know, one partner pays the rent or the mortgage or the mortgage mm-hmm. and the other spouse, you know, the partner pays for the groceries. Right. But that partner who paid for the rent will say, well, it's all mine. Yes. Because my money went to this piece of real estate and your money went to living expenses. And so it. In that situation, I would say it's really clean if you just have what's called a cohabitation agreement. Mm -hmm. And you can do that if you're not married. It is not a prenup, but it is an agreement between two partners that says we are going to live together. If we buy something together, this is how we are going to divide it. Okay. Because if you are just dating and you buy something, say you buy a TV and then you break up, unless you have a cohabitation agreement, the court says, I don't know, figure Mm -hmm. out what you're going to do with that stuff. There's no law that says that we can figure out how to divide that for non-married couples. Right. Well, when you and I met, uh, one of the things that you said that people need to do is to start thinking about their taxes, Mm -hmm. um, adjusting their W-4s, filing for head of household. Can you talk one minute before we head into the break? Sure. Now that we're in January, if you think that you are going to get a divorce in 2022, if you are divorced by December 31st, you will file a separate tax return from your soon-to-be ex-spouse. Um, you will either be single or head of household, depending on whether or not you have a minor child in your home 50% of the time. But if that is coming, it is a good time when you are doing your tax return for 2021 to make sure that you are withholding enough money so that you don't get hit with a tax liability 
for filing a separate return in 2022. And sometimes you can have your accountant run like a dummy return for you just okay. to see if your withholdings are correct. Right. Perfect. And if you'd like to get in touch with Melissa or have mortgage or real estate questions, be sure and text 651-578-2218. Right. Use the word keyword divorce. And speaking of keywords, you can find this episode and previous episodes. Just go to our website, mytalk1071.com, keyword red hot. Thank you all.